Which you can't even think of which button you want to hit. I don't know. You were just you were just feeling around, I like was, so many of us. Oh, you know, I was like feeling like it. So many of us groping around for the answers. You know, Grope, groping for the answers. I think that that is how in we the get darkness, through life. Yeah, in the darkness, feeling our way, <laughs> feeling our way to the cinema, going to the cinema, a dark place, looking for the answers. Sometimes in a dark place, we go to a dark place. Mm-hmm. Um, to be in the darkness. To be told by Heart, Nicole Kidman. Feels good. To be told by like Nicole this. Kidman. I'm uh, getting a little tired of the people cheering. I went to a movie today and nobody cheered, and I was like, "This is bliss. This is bliss." Yeah, yeah. I was, I was in. I saw, I saw one of the movies we we're talking about today in a crowded theater, and uh, they did cheer. Uh-huh. And um, they think they're very it's unique. Funny. I, I, I knew. So, so you'll be able. I mean, with both of these movies, for very different reasons. I could have not known my theater number and simply um, followed the people who I correctly identified as people attending that oh, movie. Yeah. You can. You can. You definitely can tell I, who's I, going to I that. walked into Asteroid City behind three people who looked like characters from a Wes Anderson movie. <laughs> and they talked like characters from a Wes Anderson movie. And I knew. Like, I heard them say, oh, we're going to Theater 9. And the way they said the way they had the interaction, like, that's my theater. Mm-hmm. And I was correct. You were correct. I was correct because you know what? Sometimes stereotypes are right. Sometimes that's a yeah. That's um, you know, that's an unpopular sentiment, right? But we're here to you know, we we we're truth tellers, right? And there's a certain kind of you know, nerdy white person who you just know is going to be it in is. the They're West all white, Anderson. Aren't they? Yeah. You know, I did see some people. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to exclude people who are not white, who like Wes Anderson's movie. I like Wes Anderson's movie. I mean, I'm telling on myself, right? Yeah. As a nerdy white person. But there was just a couple people who just, who did look like if, if Wes Anderson had commissioned a sort of special branch of central casting for him and his <laughs> film, which he may well have. Maybe. For all I know. It'd be funny. You know how they say, like, um, you know, like Roger Deakins has, like, his set of lenses that is owned <laughs> by Panavision or whatever, sure. but they're his. Like, he gets to take them out even yeah. though they own them, right? Yeah. Like, he has, like, his... Like, so they, they have people in a certain, like, oh, you're in the Wes Anderson central casting. You know, we send you to some very, um, they find them usually ornate kind of room. Yeah, this is very important. Yeah, Portland would be a place you could find these people. So we're talking about Asteroid City. We're talking about Elemental. I was wondering, I was wondering which second one was going to be. Well, no, definitely Elemental. I didn't see the Flash. I don't think I'm going to see the Flash. I don't think you need to. I just, I feel like, is there a suspension bridge? That's all I want to know. No. Oh, that's a shame. Luckily, it's not a suspension bridge, but unlucky for us, it's a hospital, and uh, there are uh, flying CGI babies in the air. That a baby shower, as they call it, that he has to save the babies. Oh, that's funny! What a pun! (laughs) What a pun! We love we love a pun. Uh, I will say six stars for you, uh, (laughs) Ezra Miller. You, you, uh, whatever you. Chris, sex criminal or whatever you are. I don't I, know. He's some terrible human being. It'd be very much. Uh, there's a lot going on there. But I will say, after one of the most excruciating opening sequences, I think, in cinema history in The Flash, uh, it proceeds to be a somewhat tolerable film. Uh, there we tolerable. go. There we go. Put that one on the poster. <laughs> Put that one on the poster, brother. Uh, excruciating opening. That's a, that's that's That's... 
Well, whatever. I shan't be tolerating it. I don't. I don't think. think and then I, I don't. don't think. I, mean, I do have it. one more. I've used two of my three AMC weekly movies, which is more. I usually get one, maybe mm-hmm. two. Mm-hmm. I, I very rarely do. I do three in a week. Very I rarely did do. Three, I max I did three out this week. my my value for dollar on my AMC A list. Not a sponsor. That's free. Mm-hmm. Uh, although you should pay us AMC. <laughs> uh, you should pay us. So, which movie do you want to talk about first? I usually say which one we're going to talk about first. I feel like I I, I, have I want more, to defer to you. I have more to say about oh, Asteroid yeah, of City. Course, of course. So let's talk about Elemental first. Let's do it. I think that's usually the right way. To do you it. saw, I, I you saw with a child. Check. I try to make you. I try to make you choose, and then I just chose. <laughs> you, uh, you you saw this with a child. I did see it with my child, yes. not just any child. No, no, I mean, many, no there were many. Did children you find the a child outside? I guess I the could have found a child outside. Yeah, that, was, that, that, that always goes well. <laughs> there were many children in the theater. It was very adorable. At the end of the movie, they, they uh-huh. just ran around in front of the screen and played tag. It was very sweet. That is cute. My my daughter was running around with. Uh, an, uh, a quarter full bag of Reese's pieces and she, she slipped and she fell and she spilled some of them and she started to eat them off the ground. Well, and the other kid yeah. was like, you can't eat those. Carolina was not, um, she Amused. was not interested in that. No, no, she, no. Just, she just kept on. She's like, um, she's the real hero because she is unaffected. <laughs> that is true. That's she's good. a hero in the Greek <laughs> sense or the Nietzschean sense, right? She just is unaffected, right? She does. She is what she is and she does what she does and she does not really care so much. About what other people tell her to That's do. That's very good. So she's a hero in the in the purest sense. Yeah. So Elemental. Elemental is uh, the newest Pixar movie. Which we have talked some Pixar, even some, on this show. We've done some Pixar. We've yeah. done some Pixar. So uh, Elemental. You saw it today. I saw, I saw it a couple it, days ago. Saw I saw it a couple I, hours ago. I saw, I saw it with my daughter. I think it was the first movie I'd ever seen her cry in. So that's a, that's a milestone. That we'll is share a milestone. with the, uh, the audience. Uh, I may do a quick supplemental review uh, with her uh, recorded and post it to the Dead Reckoner later. She please, she really wants to get uh, out there in the uh, start her media career. <laughs> but uh, so Kyle, you you had a you certainly had a different experience seeing this movie. Seeing it, I saw yeah. it in a crowded theater with my child with a bunch of other children in the South Bay where I now live. Mine was a very. Uh, I mean, it was very thin audience. Yeah. Uh, uh, As you'd expect for a kid's movie on a Monday, weekday matinee. Uh, yeah, weekday matinee. There were some kids. Although um, this is a holiday for... It is a holiday. This is Juneteenth. Um, so happy Juneteenth to those celebrating. And uh, it is a city holiday in Los Angeles. Uh, my my kid's camp wasn't going because it's a city camp. My wife uh, isn't working. She works for a nonprofit. But I they think usually I am take working the day tonight. Off. So yeah, I'm, well, I worked today, too. I mean... Yeah. Uh, the the private sector does not care about the end of slavery, but the public sector may. Well, they, they yes. a little bit. Yeah, they may. Bit. Well, um, so but there were some kids, and uh, unfortunately, their father was kind of a, a dick. Um, they they were there to have a good time, and they were not. A re- and by the way, I'm very hard on uh, when when kids. Uh, sort of get out of their element even though they cannot necessarily blame Pond, are you punning ele- elements <laughs> out of their element you know they children are they they can be fiery they can, they can be, be fiery, fiery can be and fiery. they and they were there to have a good time and the dad was just not having any of it and i didn't find them to be particularly uh much of a distraction in fact i i like when kids are vocal during a kid's movie because it 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 signals to me what what yeah. they're getting out of it and so i'm not necessarily against uh, kids being in my screenings uh for particularly family yeah, oriented it's a kids films. movie 
right? Yeah. If it's a kids movie, I, I it's adults. I mean, I I have I generally have a lot of tolerance for children mm-hmm. being children, and I have almost zero tolerance for adults being children. I which, yeah, very which much is, so. uh, something we see more and more these days yeah. at, at the theater and and in other places. You know, I came into this movie with a, almost a preconceived judgment. Uh, based off of just trailers, based off the, the idea that was being marketed to me. And I and I and just earlier, I had lunch with Katie, and I said, you know, I think Pixar has a marketing problem because this movie, while it has ele- elements of, of what, what it's supposed to be in the marketing sense, it is beyond that as well at so, the same so, time. So, okay, so what did you think it was going in? I thought That's it was going to be as almost uh, Zootopia adjacent, that it, it is about the integration of races via, like, the metaphor of elements. And that's part of it that's part of it but it goes a little beyond that it goes to the idea of immigration it goes to the idea of integration of culture and experience and this idea that it, it it's it's about how our chemistry when we have this unified idea of of cross cross generational cross cultural unions our chemistry changes and maybe evolves and gets better. And honestly, watching a movie about two people who have been told that they cannot integrate, that they have to remain segregated, not only in the emotions that they have for each other, but in their experiences with each other, and watch as that breaks down through it, you know, I mean, and and the, the difficulties of that, you know, having an allegiance to... What is sacrifice to the family? What is sacrifice for yourself? And... I thought the layering of this movie was far more nuanced and interesting than I thought the direct, uh, obvious metaphor was going to carry. And it, it is direct, and it recognizes it as such, but I did find it to be far more layered, and I I enjoyed the characters far more than I thought, you know, like going in. I thought it was going to be kind of paint by numbers but this was uh this was very you could tell this was very personal peter son who directed it it is about his immigrant lessons and experiences and uh i quite enjoyed it i quite enjoyed it you know i i i I was trying i think i enjoyed it as a whole more than turning red although i liked some highs of turning red more this is a real this is a real good point of comparison yeah i think so i I think turning red is a real good point of comparison because very so sort of stories that have sort of similar I don't I don't know what similar themes I yeah. guess I would say and yeah. similar kind of they're talking about the immigrant experience but in in, in other ways are very different yes. and I so I think yeah. they serve as really good bases of comparison I mean I in terms of I don't know if I where I I don't know if I want to start with my issues or or the thing that cannot be debated let's I'll start with the thing that cannot be debated um Pixar has mastered digital animation to the point that there's really <laughs> yeah. no serious competition. This world as, they create is incredible. As a technological thing. Yeah. yeah. And and so they've been sort of obviously at the forefront of digital animation since digital animation became a thing, right? And for a while it was kind of a novelty. And I mean, I love hand-drawn animation. I still think there's always going to be a place for hand-drawn animation. And and I think early um, Pixar movies. I mean, they're impressive for what they are, and obviously they have great storytelling. But I don't think the animation. I think the animation was more of a novelty sure. than yeah. like 
a particularly artistic accomplishment in and of itself. But now we've gotten to the point, and I think this movie is probably the peak expression of it so far, of the of the technical capacity of computer animation and the things that it can do that you just really couldn't imagine happening yeah, in hand-drawn animation, yeah, yeah. particularly the character animation, the the way that she looks like fire and he looks like water and the way that they, they are sort of dynamic and the way they're yeah, rendered in these yeah. very dynamic and interesting ways. I mean, you can tell why they choose fire and water. They're, they're probably the most interesting to look at. The air and the earth ones are, are less so. Right. Yes. Yeah, just yeah. I, I. I think that makes sense. I think that's just an aesthetic thing, but the, the just it just looks phenomenal. I mean, the scene where she's jumping around on the crystals and changing colors is just, it's just really breathtaking in a purely aesthetic level. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Whatever. However you feel about the emotions being conveyed there or whatever, and it all has to be in service of a story, right? Sure. And in service of a, a story that you feel emotionally attached to that you care about, but the technical animation is absolutely mind-blowing. Yeah. I mean, it is, I mean, it is, it is as good as anyone is doing. Yeah. And I think, like I said, it reflects, and this has been increasingly true of computer animation, but I think we've gotten to the point where, like, this is something where uh, the medium itself is conveying things artistically that are unique to it. And I liked how they were enveloping us in a kind... And it is Zootopia adjacent. Like, this is a a metropolitan uh, kind of environment with a variety of different cultures uh, represented by the elements. And how they integrate and live with with each other and how, you know, taking subways or blimps and all these things. It was the lived-in, understood place that yes. that this element city exists and how it functions and how it lives and breathes as like as a cityscape but also with the individuals inside it is a marvelously visual well, yeah, work and, and that and their their visual design concept is always spectacular yes that yeah. world building thing i mean i feel like we really saw it start to reach a peak with something like coco where that sort of absolutely undead world seems yeah. extremely well and this and this was indeed a step up there, but I thought in particular like the character animation and the way that they animate yeah, these yeah. elemental characters yes. and the way they are so dynamic, like that constant sort of movement and energy of them yes. was just yeah. was just mind boggling. Yeah, the, I mean it was just it is it is just as as good and as visually compelling and and I think makes as well as anyone's made the case for digital animation as its own thing that is bringing to you something that is artistically unique. Yeah. That you, I mean, obviously, in theory, you can hand-draw anything, right? It's just pictures. It's just it's just dots and color. It's just pixels, right? You yeah. can make anything yeah. you want. But I don't think that as a practical matter, anyone could do anything... Do, do justice to characters no, like this. No, because even in 2D, a flame will take on a, a, an idea of what the flame is based on the limitations yeah. of that 2D, um, you know, uh, evocation. And here, this character comes to life and not only in the in the movement that her body exudes without her moving her legs, just like the f- constant flame that it is. And what that, what that says about the character, that there's something within that's like generating and erupting. And, uh, and then you can see it through the eyes, through the, the, the little enunciations on with the nose. Like there, there, there is personality 
to the movement to the uh, to the drawing that through through here through the, this drawing of uh, yeah. 3D animation that is is really impressive all around. Like the, the personalities really shine through. Whether it is with uh, oh, man, I just saw it and I'm forgetting the character. Is it Wade? Yes, Wade, the water uh, guy, and Ember oh, is the fire. Ember, yeah. I should, I should, yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. I should have remembered love the that sort of punny names. <laughs> so so. So what is this? What is this movie is about? Well, you've got the water people who are wasps, right? They're the they're the first people here into the new world. They're the daughters of the American Revolution. Yes. They're you the, see, you see that they're in the, the panorama. They're the ruling they class, have, yeah. right? They're the ruling class. Yeah. And then you have the fire, the, the earth and the air people. We just don't know too much about them. They're somewhere in between the earth and the, or the water and the fire people. Yeah, yeah. The water people are the wasps. They're the ruling class. The fire people are the most recent immigrants. So they sort of stand in for, and obviously I'm looking at this through an American lens, but it's a very American movie. This oh, yeah, idea yeah, of having yeah. like the f- being a nation of immigrants, having the first people who got there be kind of the not the people who were there. There is no equivalent of like uh, Native, Native Americans, yeah. so that's, that's no Native element. That, there's in this. that is not that is not in any evidence in this movie, uh, nor are there slaves, uh, which is the other important group of people in our history. But what we have is the the fire people who stand in for the most recent wave of immigrants, which throughout American history has been everything from Germans, I- Irish, Italians, yeah, yeah. Irish, uh, people from various Asian countries, people from Latin America, people from the Asian subcontinent, people yeah, from the yeah. Middle East, and pretty much everywhere else in in one size wave or another right and it's also very urban right so it's evoking a kind of you know new a, york, a new york yeah. city where you have a a kind of ethnic enclave right which is where the fire people live right where yeah. they forge their new existence uh it is a uh very like i said that's an, a very american story right yeah. that's a story about um the all the people who have come here in some combination of seeking opportunity and under some duress yeah right yeah yeah. that's that's sort of the the push and pull of the waves of american immigration that the movie is um signifying well that that of course brings us to one important difference between this and turning red right which is turning red is about an actual actual people in an actual place right Yeah. yeah the fire people are kind of are are more metaphorical right and they sort of they sort of aesthetically kind of are drawn from like a lot of different sources, right? Yeah, there, yeah, there, yeah. there are um, <laughs> there are elements, um, you know, the, her her Ember's father, you know, from the old world, kind of the staunch first generation immigrant father, is reminiscent of the of, of ironically enough the father from a movie like My Big Fat Greek Wedding, which for which I saw yeah, the trailer yeah. to number three. Prior to this movie, I didn't even remember that there was a number two. There was. A so- there was. Sorry. And a failed TV show. I remember the failed yeah. TV show, but I don't remember the number two. Yeah. I do remember the first one, which was a, a kind of a surprise hit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if we'll be reviewing number three on here. I uh, depends, highly doubt Depends it. on a lot of factors, but I'm going to guess no. I'm surprised it's going to theaters, I'll say that. Uh, it seems like a streamer. <laughs> it's a Netflix, like, a Netflix like original. A yeah, to me. That I seems agree. like, I would say maybe a Roku channel. <laughs> a Roku channel. <laughs> Roku Crackle original. <laughs> uh, no, no. I mean, the first one is, I haven't watched it in a long time, but it was first like, one good. Of, it was a tremendous surprise hit. Yes. Uh, so I I guess I found, I found the movie, 
in spite of what I'm about to say, I found the movie very moving and seeing it with my daughter and seeing her moved by it was also very moving. That is, yeah. I found some aspects of the story a little pat. Sure. Sort yeah. of the, the, the beats of... I want to be with you, but I can't be with you. I don't want to do what my dad wants to do, but I'm going to do it anyways. Mm-hmm. Those moments seem almost to come a bit by rote. I do so, agree. There were a couple scenes where agree. she just was sort of saying words like, I don't want to do it, but I have to do it mm-hmm. kind of lines. And like, obviously that's what she's feeling, but no, no, you're it was right. A, it was a, there were a couple of moments that were a little on the nose. You, for me. Oh, oh no, for sure. And, and, um, and it, it is not without its faults, and that's the thing. I was uh, my positivity comes. That I was surprised it wasn't always on the nose. Like, but but it does have its features. Most notably, and and you could argue in a sense that it, it's it's a hint throughout. But she's got this temper and this rage, and she keeps exploding. She keeps almost going full purple, as they call it. Yeah, yeah she, goes nuclear. And she goes nuclear. She goes nuclear. And it's people. because of that, like her her this suppression, the suppression of what's inside her, and. Honestly, the the movie makes it seem as though she always knew. As she talks it out later on, she's like, oh, I just don't want to do that. I don't want to do what my dad imagines my future to be. I'm fighting against that. But she's always kind of like finding her own way. And I agree with you that there's that it is kind of rote. It just comes out on the idea of. Of how it's supposed to go, yeah, and it's so like when she's w- making out with the guy, and then she runs away, like I can't be here. It's just, some of the scenes just felt like okay, I, I understand that I, this yeah. is, and like, and the, the other thing that bothered me is like that the wind character. Like at one moment she likes them, at the next minute, the moment she's gonna like shut her her dad's store down. She uses in, three a, days. in their world a racial epithet towards her, and uh, then she she comes back, and then all of a sudden they are fine. They're just but fine. But she's still gonna shut the thing down. It's like. It's like sometimes it seems like characters are like it's like she has to want to shut this door down to advance the plot. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, there's this there's this sort of. The movie does not always propel itself forward in a way that seems entirely um, organic. Right. And sometimes it seems like it's it kind of knows the beats it's going to hit and it hits those beats in ways that don't always feel as earned uh, as maybe they could, yeah. and this is right? this is the problem when you operate in metaphor, especially one that is kind of an obvious metaphor. It's like separating, segregating people, and this kind of idea that we're being told, or in in a kind of natural idea, they cannot integrate with each other. That that's pretty much what is being served in this story to propel the idea of the division and the romance, to propel the idea of the division for for her to try and find her own way. And that when when you operate in obvious metaphor, it's going to write well, itself out well, that and, way. And when it's not about something specific, right? I mean, so so I do think that like that is one advantage to me that Turning Red has is it's about yeah. a specific time and place and person that existed, yes. right? Yeah, it's very uh, autobiographical. Both are autobiographical, semi-autobiographical. And also, but. I mean, I do like I do think that talking about like a girl entering adolescence. To me, is just a somewhat more interesting and less told story, just on its face, I agree. than the kind of cross cultural love story, which is, I mean, it, I mean, it's a recapitulation of West Side Story, it's a recapitulation of Romeo and Juliet, right? Yeah, it's just, Dances with Wolves, Dance, yeah, we, I mean, we got, I, I mean, and Last Mohican, and it's an yeah. affecting story, and it's a story that works, and it affected my daughter, and I'm, I'm, and I found it ultimately very moving, like the final scene where she bows to her father and he bows back. So there's this whole plot about how he bowed to his father. Her dad bowed to his his dad 
and the dad didn't bow back, and this is this great yeah. sort of wound for him. And then the very final scene is she bows and he bows back. And I'm getting emotionally even thinking about it. It's a great end to the movie. That, and this is where Pixar operates in a realm where they have uh, like these layered plots, and sometimes one works better than the other. Yes. And uh, much like in Onward, where you have this idea of the mother and her sons, which works in a way, but it's the brothers and how the older brother is like the father, the surrogate father to this younger kid. That works really well. Same thing with Elemental. The relationship of fi- trying to pave your own way in light of the dream that your parents this idea that they they have this idea for you and when you know it's it's one of those conversations that's a little obvious but it it works well because the framework of the characters is when she's like i that's not my dream and they're like you are our dream the shop's not my dream you're my dream whatever you want to do we're going to support and obviously that's idealistic that's like the the hope fulfillment the wish fulfillment of the best circumstance of the immigrant experience but i do think that that goes to the truth of why people travel and and risk and do those things is to set up their children for whatever life they have chosen for themselves well also i mean just the process of just the letting go of your child, yes, which is something yeah. even with well, I have you know one child she's young, but it's something you think about, right? You think about this. My job is to uh, get this person to a point where they don't need me anymore. Mm-hmm. They don't need me, right? And because so much of parenthood is about being needed, right? That's a real. That's a real profound shift, yeah. right? Yeah. And that's something you. Is your parents? It's your job to bring that about. Yeah, it's it's too it is to in some sense gently push your child away, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. like, now this is this is your show now. Yeah. That's your job, right? And uh, not every parent does it, right? I mean, I think we all um, perhaps have encountered uh, people who are adults and who have um, issues with their parents. Yeah, where the that that sort of detachment. Uh, did not occur. Yeah, yeah, right for sure. And and I thought that was a very profound way to illustrate that in the context of also sort of touching on the immigrant cultural dynamic of you know the child's desire to honor her culture but move forward in, with her own dreams, right? Uh-huh. Which is which is not part of my lived experience, but I, I mean, I certainly um, I grew up around a lot of. Uh, second generation immigrants and uh, that was very much a part of the dynamic they had with their parents right and that I got to observe from that vantage is you know that push and pull of feeling very wedded to their culture um, but also not um, not wanting to do what had been done before them and I mean we hear this we've seen this expressed so many times I mean we we watch past lives uh, which is a great expression of that and I mean how many times have I heard you know, my my wife, who is uh, Egyptian American, like say, like in Egypt, I'm Amer- I'm not a, I'm the American one in America. I'm the Egyptian one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm 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 not enough. I'm t- I'm not enough here. I'm too much there. <laughs> it, it's a it's a sentiment that you hear a lot of people express. And yes. so and so I thought that that was that was a very poignant and cinematic way to to demonstrate that synthesis and that transition. Yeah, which I think yeah. was at the core of it. So I, but yeah, I mean I. I I think we land in a similar place. I mean, I liked this movie. I think the animation alone is just oh, br- is just brilliant. gorgeous, gorgeous, and and like I said, just does does things again, um, 
that I've just never seen before. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it really is. It really is a way to. I mean, Pixar have have that capacity, right? To do to do things with this medium um, that I've just never seen before, mm-hmm. and that just look amazing, and just are really visually just bewitching, right? Yeah. And and for that alone, I mean, it, it gets a lot of credit. And even if there were moments in the story that I felt were maybe a little forced, it's a moving story. It's a story that I think a lot of people are going to relate to that can speak yeah. to a lot of people. Uh, and um, and so I, I, I give it high marks for that. Yeah, for sure. It's hard to find that balancing act with movies such as this that are meant for family, that are meant for children. And, and uh, in those kind of parables, in those sort of lessons, sometimes they take, the you know, in, in our adult sphere they take kind of obvious roads yeah. and you're not going to take your kid to past lives you no. take, actually you could take a teenager i think a teenager, a teenager could get a lot could out of past lives but my lot, kid's not yeah. gonna watch past lives no no um but i mean they're both getting at this thing yeah. this between worlds feeling yeah and um and i think for for a family movie um yeah it's 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 yeah. really good it's really good yeah i mean yeah, I mean, there's not much more I could say. I, uh, the, some of the things worked better than I uh, came in and thought, and then it wasn't as hammer to the head metaphor. Uh, I thought I thought they operated in, a, in an acknowledgement of their world of metaphor in a way that uh, made it interesting in a, either a visual sense or utilized the characters to take them down some interesting rows. Obviously, some of it's a little declared. Some of it's a little kind of prescribed and and laid out in how those stories are told. But I I, I found myself engaged with the characters enough, especially the lead of of Ember and well, and the 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 comp- complexities yes, of father yes, and, she, and romance. She, and she all was that. a great character. Yeah, like she was a great lead character, and. Uh, Yes, a very a very compelling character. Yeah. So I I like that. Yeah. Let's talk about Asteroid City. Let's do. Let's talk about our our buddy Wes Anderson. So you and I have a conversation about Rushmore with the comes the, out the, next week. The comes delightful, week. the actual uh, filmmaker Christy Schumach, who's always yes, intimidating yeah. to talk with because she's she, very much she's so. she's a, she's a actually does things. <laughs> uh, unlike me, I just shoot my mouth off. Uh. And uh, so, so I've been thinking Wes Anderson lately. And, Me too. And Me too. and we get to Asteroid City, um, which is a Wes Anderson movie. I think we can all agree. So we pondered if he could take it further than French Dispatch and the Andersonian ways. Okay, this is a good way to start. Is this an example of taking it further? Do we think? In some ways, yes, and in some ways, no. There we go. You've, you fucking hedge. I, that's the problem. Is that you're right. I want to make fun of you, <laughs> but you're you're right. Okay. How, how do we want to talk about this movie? I have a lot of thoughts on this movie. Okay. So so, I loved this. Movie. You love this movie. Okay. I do. Okay. This is my favorite he's done. I think since Grand Budapest Hotel. Okay. Okay. This is for good. sure. This is good. So. Why do you think you loved it so much? <laughs> Why do you like what? Like if you so, had, to, if you had to sort of, let's just assume uh, I were to, you were bewitched, you were bewitched by by Wes Anderson, you were bewitched by me, and you just had to say like, what is it about this movie that you just loved? Like what made you love it? 
So or what, what, this like, goes to a very like, personal thing. Okay, this is good. Let's the, get personal. And, and this is why I think, and it was ha- almost having a direct conversation with the same anxieties, fears that kind of encompass my own life. And I think Wes Anderson, for this is a very personal, I think this is a very personal story for him. This, this is true. Kyle is afraid of aliens. I am afraid of aliens. He has alien, aliens. Well, uh, he you has know, alien, as, alien abduction phobia. As the great. Which uh, is a thing, by the way. I, <laughs> it is a thing. People, there are people who believe that they've been abducted I do, by aliens. I do love the conversation of uh, actor as as alien jeff great jeff goldblum who makes a little small little appearance says i play my character as though it is a metaphor and they ask him a metaphor for what and he doesn't know the answer for that well that but that is something that recurs <laughs> it right does. people who yeah. do not know what yeah. they're doing or why they're and doing it so this is this is what i loved about the movie it gets into that very yes. sentiment yes. and it's very important the the whole construction of the movie, which I which is very similar. I mean, when when you've seen the kind of apparatus of, and we we talked about this on Rushmore, the artifice that uh, that filmmaking is to Wes Anderson, the, his fussiness, his detail, his perfectionism, is kind of at contrast with the messiness of the people within those worlds. And the, I think this is direct commentary from Wes Anderson on the form and the artifice of cinema itself is that we he seeks out stories and he seeks out the perfection of crafting and detailing and manifesting those stories as a comfort for him and this movie is almost asking if that comfort is enough it's it it, it it's a tv presentation of a play and then we are within the play and it weaves in and out of this construction it's very similar to the story within a story idea of Grand Budapest Hotel, or the framework of like French Dispatch, with uh, the various people involved in the the realm of the newspaper, and uh, what that says about the person who is at the top. And here we have another, we have a similar idea of a person at the top. We have the writer, and there, there's such such an interesting trinity here of the writer as kind of creator, the performer as sort of us, you know, people who live out the life, you know, of the, of within the creation given and whether there is comfort alone in operating in the, just, just going with the lines, going with the, the, the contentedness of life, or if there's unease, if there's unknowns, if there's a void between that. And this movie really clicked into place at the end when you have at these actors who are all wondering, wondering if they can carry on a show in grief, in honor of somebody who crafted and created it, and whether they can find their own construction, their own meaning, and comfort in that. And so Wes Anderson being, and we talked about this on Rushmore, being kind of an, an, a tender, warm optimist in, in sorts. Even when he's melancholy, even when he's down, he tries to look at, at hopeful ends and hopeful means. I mean, this, is, this defines pretty much all of his work. And for this one, when, they, with the, when these actors are saying, you know, you can't wake up, uh, you, you can't, can't wake you up, can't if, wake you up if you don't fall asleep. If you don't fall asleep. This is this whole thing becomes, you know, the proscenium curtain of the stage starts to translate in that stage of life sort of way, and you can't, you can't, you can't venture 
life and all of its meaning if you're not willing to just fall asleep and, and w- try and wake up for the next day or try and you know you know move past the things that are obstacles whether they are it is loss whether it is loss of self loss of another person and this movie is a very wonderful look at grief and how it's it's grief you know this schwartzman character has lost a wife as a character but has lost a lover and a guide and mentor in the writer that has given him this role and it's it's just really beautiful like it's it's a really beautiful look at how do we how do we confront the unknowns you know we've we've talked a lot about this too is that you know finding a contentedness in life when things are messy when things are not not in our control this is the most i think wes anderson has looked upon the comfort of of writing the comfort of creativity and found he's questioning if it is enough and maybe allowing you the generous gift of defining it for yourself and i i really loved this movie because of it it's a very interesting phase of his career yeah i think because I mean, we we reviewed the French Dispatch. The movie literally ends with like I think Bill Murray's character saying something like, "What do we do now?" or yeah. like, "What's next?" or yeah, something next? like that, which seemed pretty clear to me to be Anderson himself asking. Because my 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 thesis about the French Dispatch, which is in some ways reinforced by this movie, is that the point of that movie was for Anderson to test the absolute limits of what he, what he does, mm-hmm. right. His aesthetic sense. And, um, and just to see what that looked like, like what, how can I, how far can I take this project of making this kind of a movie? Yeah. Right. And what does it mean to do that? And what will I find there? Right. What, what, what will I learn from it? And to me, this movie is sort of the answer to that question. This is what I th- now think or how I'm thinking about cinema in general and, like, the way I make movies. There's there's so much going on in this movie. Oh, so much. There's so yeah. much going on in this movie in no particular order, right? He situates himself, I think, correctly, and I think in a way that sort of brings a lot of his filmography, especially his later filmography together as a bit of a science fiction filmmaker, which I think in a way his movies are (laughs) yes, because they do create these alternate realities. Oh yeah. Yeah. Right. You could say all movies do that, but his movies are very specific. Yeah. They're lived in, breathed in, you know, uh, other worlds. Absolutely. So, so you wouldn't think of these movies as science fiction movies. But we talked about Rushmore being almost like a fable. Like it it is constructed like a fable. You look at the Jules Verne inspired science fiction of life aquatic. It very much is a a kind of deviation. And his, and his movies have become only more, um, fabulations. Yeah. Since those movies. Very much. Yeah. Which, you know, we talk about Rushmore. I mean, Rushmore still has certain, like I would say like naturalistic, characteristics to it and still moments where he's sort of his his cinematic grammar has not been completely as completely developed as it would yeah, become yeah um so you get the hyper stylized french connection and eh, a french connection french dispatch <laughs> uh and then you uh and then you get this this thing where he literally creates a world, or two worlds, maybe. I mean, he literally, it's, it's, it's shot on, I don't know what to call it, 
an enclosed set. Yeah. An enclosed set, which is kind of meant to be a large stage. Yes. Yeah. And we know it's a stage, and it's explicitly that. It's it looks explicitly like explicitly told to us it's a that. stage. Well, and, and in its... I mean, it's such a jaw-dropping camera movement that Robert Yeoman does once you're on that set. Population 87, Asteroid City. You, you have a physical train on this stage set with uh, with is- depth of field, but, uh, but mountains that are clearly fake. And it does a 360 shot to give you the orientation of this place. What a marvel. Like, you know, Wes Anderson... There are a lot of people trying to recreate what he does. Nobody can do what he does because he he makes it he orients you so naturally into this idea of taking you into a a mental space, a mental uh, existence for these characters or these performers that is beyond what because it's not it the aesthetic helps, but it is a conversation with that aesthetic constantly. You know why there's a fake roadrunner, you know, going on, you yeah. know, in, in its kind of cartoon essence and why these p- people are so removed. I mean, you can uh, emotionally, you can get into a lot of reasons why. Is it because it's the 1950s and people are not necessarily open with their emotions or are, is everyone not open with their emotions because we're kind of holding things to the chest? But but, but then he does some so he creates this it's almost it almost it goes from being the most extreme version of what he does, yeah, but still situated in a real place, Paris, to a completely confabulated place, a yeah. place that is is literally physically made up. Yeah. So so he goes from an extreme version to, in some sense, almost a caricature. It's almost a caricature of what he does. And and that can have cruel connotations. I don't think he's being cruel to himself or to us, but it is, it is, it's, it's taken to a sort of an almost cartoonish place. Yeah. But then he shoots it through with some of his most naturalistic characters, most notably the children, right? Yes. And the fact that you see the children who become this kind of emotional Greek chorus is very interesting, right? Yeah. Because what he sort of is doing is he's almost making fun of himself a little bit because he's like, I'm going to insert into my movie characters, and this is not the only case, it's just the most obvious case, of people going off the script. Yeah. Like, the children are not in a Wes Anderson movie. <laughs> they They're are in not. Her own, their own movie. The, the, the daughters being like, I'm a vampire and I'm a witch. They are, they, yeah. are, they are so much like little children. Yes. that That is exactly how little children are. Yeah. So they're not behaving in the sort of mannered ways that his adult characters behave. Yeah. They don't care that they're in a Wes Anderson movie. No, no. And they're sort of... They're just doing their own thing, right? Um, and they they are a kind of juxtaposition to the adult sphere, where they are performing in a mannered way, based off of expectation, based off of an un, a, a, a knowledge of how they're supposed to behave, and and the the ability to understand that they don't know how to behave in in around their children yeah. or for their children yeah, fact, or for themselves. In fact, their grandfather, played by Tom Hanks. Wonderful in this movie. Wonderful. I thought. I mean, I, I thought this was the best work Schwartzman's done maybe since I agree. Rushmore. I agree. Right. Um. But Hanks is. You know. I mean, he's a he's a beast. I this mean, is he's, his he's first. No, I mean, I mean, I I feel bad that one of the one of the movies we've talked about in here is the Elvis, which is his worst movie I ever. Do, yeah. Uh. But he is spectacular. 
He's spectacular. He, he steps and, into the Bill Murray space of yeah. kind of, uh, but 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 obviously brings a different energy than Murray for sure. Would bring for sure, I think especially with what Hanks represents and like beyond the scope of his career and like the public eye, he's playing a kind of father figure that has an air about him and understanding about him, and he's kind of subverting but, that expectation. But, but also, he wants to do sort of when he tries to take her ashes out of the ground, his 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 uh, deceased daughter's ashes out of the ground. He wants to do like a scene. That might occur in a different Wes Anderson movie where he does something like he he sort of mourns privately in a very respectful way and we get a shot of the ashes and a shot of his face and a shot of him in profile walking. He wants to do that scene. Yeah. And the girls are not having it. They're not having it. They're yeah. not letting that scene into the movie. They won't. <laughs> they, are, they are operating on their own principles, right, which are not – which are which are dissonant. Right, and they have this sort of anarchic dissonance that they throw into the middle of this movie, that is very interesting. Yeah, and that is sort of um, is part of this project, and th- and then the adults start to go off the script, right? Like, like people start to do things like. Like Brian Cranston just shows up in a scene for well, no reason. Am I not reason. supposed to be here? Am I not supposed? To? Yeah, he's, he's like, gonna, like, oh, when he burns his hand, he, and, and he actually burns his hand, right? And she's like, oh, you really did that. You like she really, breaks character. You really did it, right? Yeah. So his adults, they start to go off the script too. They start to not play yeah. by the rules. By the rule, yeah, because they don't know what they're doing. Because Wes Anderson, he's an artist. And he doesn't know what he's doing, right? That's what he's sort of confronting is the fact that, you know, you know, it's like, I don't know what these things are. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know what these things are sometimes, right? I just, I think about them and they sort of, you know... It's like what is it Herzog says like these these ideas they come at me in the night and I can't get away <laughs> yeah, you know yeah. you know it's it's like they're like they attack me in the night right he he doesn't know what he's doing right and so he he is sort of confronting the very real gulf between the highly mannered and stylized things he creates and the fact that he doesn't know what it's about. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know what it's about. He knows that he loves... I mean, he, he, you know what? I, I think in our sort of angry, ironic, just um, mean age, I do find him such a heartwarming presence. Yeah. He is sentimental. He is nostalgic. But he doesn't represent... Like, sentimentality and nostalgic have a lot of unpleasant characteristics. But he he is able to... He, he likes people. He has a certain warmth to him. He's not cruel. He's not um, nasty, no, right? Yeah, and he loves. And so, like when he makes the French Dispatch, he loves like old school magazine journalism. He just loves it. Yeah, you can tell he was thinking about how much he loves it, and he makes a movie about yeah. that, about he, the things that are in his head. About thinking the, about the things that he loves. Yeah, about the stories that captivated him, about the people behind those stories yeah. and their experiences and their lives. No, he his layering and how he treats the layering and structure and form of his movies is about not only presenting the idea of something he loves, but what is behind that as well. There, there is human. There are human beings. There are stories. His characters are treated in the same way, where even... 
even tertiary, like peripheral characters, where you have this group of stargazers, and one of the kids is like constantly wanting people to dare him to do stuff. And then at one point, has like a direct breakdown in front of you, the audience, for the form and to get goes where his dad, Leif Schreiber, is like, why? Why do you want to keep doing Why do you want us to do that? And, he, and then he's like, because I just like want to be seen. And then there's Which, just like, oh my God. And then like they're like desperate to be like, okay, what do you... What what do you want us to dare you to do? And then it ends on a joke because they won't dare him to climb up a cactus, like yeah, you know, but... because there are limitations in appeasing that kind of thing. And and in in that that in itself is a treatment, empathetic treatment to a character, an understanding of that character alone. And then it it has something to say about the whole construct of of the thing itself. It's a piece to the larger puzzle that Anderson is trying to get. Yeah. At. And so so what is he talking? About? He's talking about science fiction. He's talking about stage plays he's talking about old school television he's talking about method acting at one point i mean it's just all these things that are in his head that he thinks and what and and so and so if the french dispatch represents him kind of taking something to a limit and thinking about what does it mean well this is him i think in his in his way he's making the argument for his for his art and for cinema broadly which of course is yeah. encapsulated in that climactic line: "You can't wake up if you don't go to sleep. Yeah, if you can't, if you don't fall asleep." That there's something about, and I I'm very sympathetic to this because, you know, I always bring up this line from um, William Gibson about how, sort of, we can't have alternative culture anymore because there are no backwaters. Gibson believes that bohemias of the old format, you know, whether we're talking about Paris at a certain time or Manhattan at a certain time, they were sort of the dream time, the dream time of West of sort of modern capitalism, right? Sure. Like you needed these places where people went who were kind of insulated from and rejecting the sort of broader culture, right? So they could kind of think thoughts and live lives that were not, hemmed in by the yeah. demands of modern society. Yeah. Right? Think about the punk, punk culture in the 80s in London, people yeah. making squats yeah. and shit yeah. like that, right? Well, that's gone, right? Because the internet has destroyed that because there is no place that people go away where they don't want to be seen. Everybody actually wants to be seen. Sure, yeah, yeah. Right? And what we lose is we lose that capacity for dream time. And the same is true with our sort of distracted digital age with our cell phones and our fucking bullshit. Right. And I think Anderson sees this and he's like, well, we have to make room to to dream. Right. We have to make room to play to. to well, yeah. that's a, but, but not even that, because because it's it's about like. If you want things to be different. Oh, uh, yeah. Right. You need to think a new thought. Yeah. And the way that you think new thoughts is often nonlinear. It has to be nonlinear. Right. Because you have to sort of things combine and recombine in your head in these weird ways that lets you see the world anew, right? And and so I I think I think what he's what he's trying to get at is that the kind of thing that him and people like him are doing is done with a real seriousness of purpose. Yeah. Right? Yeah. To sort of uh, let us open up our minds and kind of 
like this is the like like movies kind of they let us hallucinate right this mm. is like a glowing picture that you could never just have in your head right this is very strange right and um and yet he also connects it to sort of the whole human history of storytelling right like when the Adrian Brody character, the director character says, we just keep telling the story again and again. Just keep doing it. Just keep telling it. I, I found... Like you, don't, you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. None of us know what we're doing, but it all amounts to something. I found these interesting characters that are added to give this emphasis. Because we're talking about, like, Anderson with the French Dispatch takes it to its extremity. And I feel like with Asteroid City, he presents it at its its layered extremity and starts to kind of tear it down. Like, yeah. to tear it down to understand what is comforting, but also what's elusive to him in dedicating himself to the form, the function of storytelling and art. Um, and where, where, where are there, as you, I think you use the word gaps, where are the gaps here? And it is interesting because we follow a character who is, um, you know, as a protagonist going through grief and then as, you know, removed and going through a sense of grief in their own right and unspoken and at the time probably an inability to actually grieve for a lover that is, you know, who because of the homosexual aspect of the relationship, because of the time period, is meant to live alone. And he goes to two characters in uh, in the spree when things are just kind of going chaotic. It turns into like Looney Tunes rebellion, where, where as you said, like the girls are manifesting an anarchic energy. And when the military is like, you need to behave yourselves in a certain way. There's going to be this like this strict order to things. And then all the parents, like Leif Schreiber, takes out the like gun, and they all start just shooting everything, and everything goes into chaos. Into chaos. And then the only character that's not involved is Augie, Jason Schwartzman, and he leaves. He leaves, and he enters. And he talks with the director and the direct Adrian Brody, and Adrian Brody's like just talking him through as a director would what 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 are you feeling like you know kind of like encouraging the emotions as it is and then he goes out for a smoke break and confronts the actress who plays his wife and through kind of a ritual of dialogue and it is a ritual it's almost uh, katie described it as almost scripture that the the basis of the writing is what is giving him comfort, giving him a sense of purpose, giving him a sense of reorientation. But it's di- it, but, but it's not about leaning back into the nostalgia or the comfort of it. It's about addressing the comfort so that you can move on from it. It's like to, to understand it at this point so that now you can you, you can grow. Or move or just move on. You know, there, there is just a, there, he he's still sad. And that, that I think that's the beauty of the movie is that some of these characters don't they they grow in like this minuscule kind of way where they're able to you know just move on a little bit and honestly that's just enough that's just enough and that's a lot of what we go through in life is just to move on just a little bit from our sadness from our loss from the idea of the unknown like the the the, the idea of the universe being so grand that there's other life forms but that what do those life forms mean i think it's all very much 
it's there's a lot going on in this movie and that it all pertains to this theme this this central theme of a character going through grief and loss and the unknown and what's what, what and how painful the unknown can be and that going to your senses of comfort oftentimes is not enough but it can give you a basis to maybe uh move just a little bit and i i i really liked that like i don't know maybe this was just the perfect kind of movie to sit in like my mid thirties to, to, to experience and address. And I thought it, it worked very well. No, I mean, it's uh it's a great, I mean, it's a movie about telling stories. Oh, very much. So it's a movie about telling stories. It's a movie about how the stories we tell and Like how we and 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 how, what they have to do with how we get through life, right? yeah, yeah. Because we all know, in our own way, right? The how do I want to put this? Like the the role that storytelling can play in not just affecting our feelings, but affecting how we see the world, how we see our lives, how we cope, how we experience joy and frustration and pain right so i agree it's a very personal movie it's a personal movie made by someone whose obsession is cinema his life obsession is cinema so um in that sense you and him have something in common (laughs) in in some ways yeah right and so i think this movie should and probably will speak to people who share that obsession with him not just not just for cinema though, but for storytelling more broadly, right? I I do agree it's for storytelling more broadly because it it he, he it, this is about storytelling and the newspaper kind of mentality. It's about storytelling back in like kind of a novel mentality of Grand Budapest, and here it's a play, it's TV, it's a variety of things. But yeah, I do think it is storytelling in general, and I think that's something that we all you know obviously we're invested in that, like you and I in this whole project. We're invested in that, and he's invested in that, and I think that I think that there's something very sort of honest about about the movie. Like it's a sweet movie, but it's also a movie that I think is is aware of both the power and the limitations, right? Of, yeah, of what yes, it, of yeah. what it is he's trying to do or what his project is. Yeah, but. I mean, I thought it was great. I thought it was really great. And I thought it was... But it still leaves me, just like as with French Dispatch, it still leaves me interested in where, where he goes from here. Cause I, I know. Feel like, I feel like he is he is sort of rounding around on his own work in a way that's interesting, right? Because he, his stories are clearly getting... This one in particular is invested in like what he does and how he does it, right? And what his whole project is as an artist, right? And I, I, I still I still am left with the sort of the same question. I mean, it's an interesting sort of lateral move, right? Because he's like, I asked a certain question, now I'm going to answer that question. Yeah. I'm going to yeah. give you the best answer I can. Like, what is it I do? What am I going to do next? What is what is my art about? What am I, what am I, what is my project, right? Mm-hmm. And this is like him answering that question in, in a very interesting and compelling way. But it does it does leave me with the same question, which is what yeah. then, then what is the next thing after this? Yeah, well, I mean, because it is, I just don't know. I don't know either, and it, I mean, it's 
it this leaves me more excited for what might come next uh for french dispatch i was uh, left a little i mean we talked about it i had some very positive things to say about it and then there were some things that i was uh, that didn't sell me i mean but this is still a filmmaker's operating such a unique ability vision and craft that i think on rushmore you you said that he might be the most distinct filmmaker ever like you know just in a kind of visual yeah i mean i mean certainly the way his movies look are just so they're just so unique and unmistakable and and because of that unmistakable quality i do think this is an interesting addition because it is looking about you know as as a creator in the same way you know he he comes around in rushmore at like an early age to understand that the relationship a filmmaker or a visionary has with his work ends up being in the form of accidents, improvisation, and people who support that vision. You know, once his his grand magnum opus, uh, his platoon uh, apocalypse now esque magnum opus on the stage yeah. manifests itself through collaboration of spirit and reaching out and to people that he has wronged and bringing everybody at their disposal together in a sense of collaboration, breaking down like the myth of the auteur while also harvesting an idea of the auteur itself. This is complementary in that way too, because he's looking at the, the realm of, of the top down idea of creativity, you know, the, the, the reverence it has, for this Edward Norton character as the writer. Yeah. And trying to understand that in 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 that discipline of being dedicated to the spirit of what what has been crafted, what has been created for from the creator, from that mind and having the ability to have your own sense of your role, your own sense of your emotions, to have something separated as a performer, as a director, as somebody who is trying to pay, you know, be be intricately linked to the ideas and manifestations to keeping that alive um, in their memory and in their dedication, but also having a sense of your own place in the world as at the same time. Oh, yeah. And I think Wes Anderson in a way is having a direct conversation with this idea of the form, you know, the, the aesthetic he brings, the form he has, the distinctiveness he brings. And that while it's all dedicated to that idea of the auteur, the collaboration does exist. Well, and- I mean, everyone who does anything creative has had this experience where they are like, at one moment, they're like, isn't this magical? Yeah. And at the next moment, like that, isn't this just crap? If you just look <laughs> yeah. at something... You just like this is the most navel gazing, pointless, masturbatory thing I could imagine doing. Right? I just I'll write things down and I'll look at it one moment. I'll think, oh, that's pretty good, and then I'll look at something else. I'd be like, this is just absolute, just garbage. Yeah, like this is just gar. This is just who cares? Who cares? How sort of precious? And narcissistic am I to think that anyone would give a shit about any of this? Uh, and I mean, I'm sure Wes Anderson had these thoughts. Oh, I know, for sure. Like, for I'm sure. sure he sat there and thought, "Man, like I'm sure he thought, oh man, I really like this. This is really moving.'" And then I'm going to think, like, why does anyone ever watch these movies I make? Because they're just so such personal things, right? And they might come Absolutely off as precious or whatever. Yeah, and you know. I think he's speaking to that very directly, and uh, I'm I'm 
I, I'm very sympathetic to that. Yeah. I'm very sympathetic yeah. to that. I, that internal dilemma. No, for sure. And and that that was what was I, f- I found so interesting about this movie. This is one of his oddest films, I think. I mean, not that any of his movies are not possessing of that eccentricity and that, that uh, offbeat sort of existence. Because as you said... He, all his movies operate in kind of a distinct reality of their own, and there might be a uniform uh, universe that they all kind of operate in. But the, I, I did find it was interesting that my audience was was confused by this movie. I think that they were confused by it. I don't think it locked into them as it did with me. I'm seeing it getting less enthusiastic write-ups, um, not only critically but also audience-wise. But for me, oh, I oh, well, I agree. I agree. I don't care what anybody thinks. But I, I, I care I, what you think. Oh, I appreciate that. There's like a few other people. There's like half a yeah, dozen people. I mean, this hit me right. This just hit me right. I think it locked into place. Well, nothing's in the for end. everyone. That's good. That's and good. I, that's and good. I agree. I like it when things are divisive. We've talked about this before. Yeah. I like it when things are divisive. Me too. I think people should make things that are divisive. Yeah. Right? I think it's good to make art yeah. that is divisive. Yeah. I think there's a real place for that. Yeah, and even in the framework of like, if you enjoy Wes Anderson's work, I think it is a it is a little more challenging. It is kind of having a direct conversation with 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 the world and the ideas that he creates and crafts. And I, I like that about it. I like a filmmaker who is looking. He's not just doing it on autopilot. This is not somebody. This is not somebody who is just crafting for the sake of crafting it. No, this is somebody who thinks about the form and the function and the aesthetic. Be, it, to enhance the ideas that are in his head and to to try and again you know utilize them as a juxtaposition you know the orderly the perfect the perfect world that's being crafted is different from the harshness of reality that's that his characters experience that he experienced that we all experience in life and so i like that it's in within that frame of conversation i thought some of his uh, some of the actors this time were doing incredible work. You mentioned Jason Schwartzman. I think Tom Hanks in his first foray into Wes Anderson fits perfectly. They their dynamic with each other as father in law, like it, it, it. Katie brought up the Descendants. It's very similar to like <laughs> the Descendants, and you've seen this dynamic. But man, they have this conversation where he's like, "Oh, I know you never loved me," and he goes, "He goes, no, no, I just uh, you know cared about you in this sort of way." Well, we're we're saying the same thing, you know, I mean, we're I mean, saying the I, same thing. I mean, I, you know, talk about a great juxtaposition to Payne and Anderson to sort of. Um, I'm guessing they're roughly the same age. They're probably mm-hmm. roughly contemporary. I, I do. Yeah, they are to, very similar. To, um, Two very interesting chroniclers of America. Yeah, they I think. are cinematic chroniclers. I think they both, um, you know, uh, you could do, you could do a real interesting juxtaposition of some of their work yeah. because I, I think they they sometimes are getting at similar things in very sort of different ways. You know, I really do like Alexander Payne. I. I haven't talked about him in a long time. He hasn't done well, much. He's not as prolific. He's as not as prolific, but man, Citizen Ruth, Election, Sideways, these are great movies. I love Descendants too. I think Descendants is great. I, I think that's yeah. I think that's very good for Pete, um, Pete Clooney. I mean I think one of Clooney's one of his I best. Mean, I mean just, yeah. just the extent to which talk about another movie where children loom large. Uh-huh. The children who are just terrible to him, right? Like in in the and as adolescent children, right? They're just not terrible. Like that's, but I mean, they really can be vicious with him. Yeah, right? and that yeah. viciousness of that family dynamic is just, I just love. Yes, I just love. I, well, I do too. I love that movie. I do too. Um, I I really 
I, was, I mean, it's funny we t- and r- talk about Rushmore, like Election and Rushmore, t- another great, oh, incredible I mean, t- t- two yeah. movies that came out. I got to think roughly contemporaneously. Well, one year, uh, Election came out one year after. Bo- Rushmore. Both came out when I were in, was in high school. Both sort of movies that I, I saw when I was at that age and saw in theaters and was very uh, affected by. Yeah. Um. So, and both who that really spoke to something. Um. Very, very um, relatable, right? Yeah. I mean, very, very, very relatable and very uh, deeply felt. So, uh, I, I, yeah, but this is good. I like this movie. I like this movie. You should go see this movie. Go I, see this. I really do think so. Two thumbs up. I, I think it's a really interesting, challenging work. Um, I, it's, it is thoroughly funny throughout. I mean, it is consistently funny. And, and then when it, when it rotates and pivots to give you kind of a gut punch emotion, it really takes you by surprise. And and I think the best kind of ways I really, this, this was really good for me. I, I, I was a little worried about how Isle of Dogs and French Dispatch kind of were defining late career Anderson as, or mid-career, I should say. We, I, I think he's got a lot of movies left in him and a lot of ideas. But I was worried as th- that they were going to tread ground or be really dedicated to the French new wave idea of the experimentation in form. And this one, t- like because of its essence of breaking it all kind of down for me, the creative process and what it means and then how it relates to you know how, how, what are what is my role? What is my role in life? What, how do I function? What are what are, what's the meaning behind my emotions? I, it really got me to really think about the contemplate those ideas, and, yeah. I, and it really hit me. It hit me in the right ways, and I left the theater um, very impressed. Yeah. I, I I thought Anderson was taking it. We talk a little bit about how he doesn't approach rawness, but here he was uh, like a raw emotion, like he did in Rushmore. But here he was taking the conceptual emotion and I think taking it to a, a way that really resonates. But, but there are also some actual raw moments. Like I oh, think, for I think, sure. I think this is his certainly his his most emotional movie in a long time. Yeah, yeah. Both in terms of uh, at the macro level what it's trying to express. Yeah. But also at the level of like individual characters and performances. Like yeah. you, see, you see some yeah. people kind of. Like I said, going off the script in a lot yeah, of different ways, which is so interesting. Yeah, it's it's an interest, and this deserves rewatches because of that, because yeah. of the little nuances, the subtleties of differentiating between what is character, what is what is performer, you know, and having that kind of conversation with it too. You know, Scarlett Johansson's doing a great job here. You know, she looks like somebody described that she looks like. Elizabeth Taylor, but is performing as though she's like a version of Marilyn Monroe, and but bringing such complexity. There's that scene where the 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 understudy comes in to like deliver different lines based off of the emotional state yeah. she's going to be in, and that's such an interesting way of like re- understanding a character and how they, do they operate in their sense of of themselves and their awareness. And uh, I I I thought all of the pieces though at first appearing very vignette or very disjointed or disconnected really land and fall into place quite yeah, magnificently. I, I think, I think that's, I think that's a good scene to sort of, I think that scene is kind of a perfect encapsulation of what the movie is trying to get at, which is that he shows up to first acting like he's going to do this sort of manipulation to her. And then 
does the thing that's honest, which is the biggest manipulation, yes. right? Yeah. And she knows it's the biggest manipulation, but she falls for it anyways, mm-hmm. which is what which is what storytelling is, right? We know yeah. that we're being lied to, right? We know that this is all made up, right? This shit is just made up, right? And Anderson sort of is doing us, I guess, the favor of making it really clear how just how made up it is by making yes, it so yeah, stylized, yeah, right? Yes. I mean, he's not trying to, you know, sometimes the biggest deception can come with something that's trying to represent itself as real or gritty, right? Yeah. That's when you can feel really manipulated. But to me, that's just such a perfect encapsulation of what it is. Like, we go there and we say, like, we go to the movies, we we read a story, whatever, we go to these narrative arts and we say, like, you know, just make me feel something. Uh-huh. Make me feel something from some shit you made up. Yeah. Right? From some total fabrications. And it works. It does. And it works. And she does. And she sort of lets his quote-unquote honest appeal, which is both honest but also the for being honest, the ultimate manipulation, she lets it work on her yeah. because she wants it to work on her. Yeah. She, wa- it- she wants to go back yeah and so she lets herself be brought along by this fake real fake real sincerity right yeah. I mean, it's, it's just and it's that sort of <laughs> contortion that is at the heart of all of this and the fact that it works so reliably right i mean think about how people are moved even by some of like the sappiest shit right people are moved by this is us Mm-hmm. Right. You have to. It really makes you think about how we're wired, right? Yeah, that we are yeah. so. The que- the questions about kind of the stories we tell and why we tell them, which are at the heart of this movie, are so deep in the sort of human experience and consciousness that. We're all her in that moment. We all just want someone to lie to us in a way that makes us feel yeah. a certain thing. Yeah. Right? And I do appreciate Wes Anderson's honesty with the artifice, the illusion. Mm-hmm. And But he's got the same he's he but the, the but but then there's also the great irony that he wants to hit you in the gut as much as anyone, right? He wants to make you he all of his tricks are just aimed at the same thing that everyone is if, aimed if at, for which sure. is which is to make you feel you know, to make you cry, right? Yeah. Or to make you laugh or to make you feel something. Yeah. Which is kind of, you know. But he, he's doing it in like the way, you know, Penn and Teller, when they show you the magic trick, they're showing you how they're doing it, but then they're doing it in an entirely different way. Yeah. Wes Anderson's doing that. He's a great yeah. magician, a great filmmaker, a great storyteller in that way because he can show you how it's done in one way, but he's 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 controlling the, the sleight of hand of your emotions and yeah. your your and dedication over here it's it's really good I mean, it's that's the, I mean that's the great irony of the age we live in is that people are angry and they're jaded and whatever but we all just want to you know we just want to see something sweet and have it make us feel uh you know have us have it make us cry that's all people really want yeah right and uh you know maybe maybe that's maybe that's the ultimate hopeful note that he is trying to bring to us is this, well, that universality of that, right? 
not of all the aesthetic trappings, not of all the particular motifs, uh, which are all very specific to him and his preoccupations, right? Absolutely. But that fundamental drive to of of the artist to make us feel something and us to feel that thing, us to be put to go to sleep, right? In that exact way. Yeah. The universality of that maybe is a sort of if we wanted to find a hook to hang some measure of optimism for the this the troubled human race to which we both belong. Uh, that seems as good as any to me. Yeah. Yeah, me as well. No, I thought this was great. This was great. He is Kyle Brule. Oh, thanks. <laughs> he needs your money. Uh, Subscribe yeah. to his Patreon. Money is support. I know movies if, and you if, know. If you'd like. Yeah, yeah. send him a send him a, a ham. <laughs> send him a quality ham. I'm Ben. I do Dead Reckoner. Substack. Dead Reckoner Substack. Um, uh, that's what we do. That's we, what we do. We talk movies. I don't know if we'll be doing next week. We're going to talk behind the scenes, I think. Uh, but we'll we'll figure something out. Uh, but we got, you know, Indiana Jones in a couple of weeks. We got Mission Impossible. There's movies. There's movies. Barbie Oppenheimer. Barbie Bar- versus Bar- Oppenheimer. Barbie Oppenheimer is the movie that we deserve. <laughs> Barbie Oppenheimer. It's not the movie we'll get. <laughs> But Barbie Oppenheimer is certainly the movie we deserve. Yeah. Well, not the, all of that will be on the horizon for us. So, uh, yeah. Well, we'll we'll talk next. We'll talk soon. Talk soon. Bye bye. Bye bye.